Hello, this is Janet Gallen welcoming you to Love Letters Live. Today's guest, you've met before here, Alan Klein. And I asked Alan to come back because there's a story he tells. It is the story of his life that I just love. I feel, Alan, I feel like a little kid saying, can you tell me that story again, please? Can you tell us that story again, please? You say hello and then start in. And if you don't mind, I don't mean to be too um, micromanaging here, but if you would start from the time you were a little boy and went to Broadway plays and your shoeba, will you start there and just get all the way through to Captain Kangaroo? Okay, so I'm glad you kind of framed it because I was thinking, what story? <laughs> Where do I start? You know, so so I I was born in New York, raised in the Bronx, later moved back to Manhattan. And when I was seven years old, my parents took me to see my first Broadway show, Oklahoma. And I was just awestruck. It was just so amazing to see real live people on stage because I was used to a big movie screen. Oh. And so I, I sat so well through that show that two weeks later, they took me to see a carousel. Oh, did you cry? Um, I don't remember crying, but oh, what God. I... <laughs> all right, well, go ahead. I want to interrupt again. Yeah, that's all right. What I do remember, Janet, is that we came in late. My father had trouble parking and we came in late. And at the end of the show, I didn't want to leave. I thought that like a movie. Oh, could you could see the whole thing again? Sit there and I could see the show again. Oh. <laughs> And I'm told I, I had to be dragged out of the theater. That's when I cried. <laughs> um, so from that day on, I wanted to be a scenic designer. I wanted to make those pretty stage pictures. And I went back to school and uh, we were doing a book report. And I asked the teacher if instead of a book report, I could do a diorama. Oh, I could. I could take a shoe box or a cigar box and make a scene from the book. And she said, yes. And looking back, I realized that was my first set design. You know, yeah. that was I realized first... that was, and by the way, again, not to be too pushy, but that's who should be getting your love letter, but go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you, no, go ahead. Yeah, so um, she said yes. And from then on, I would make these little dioramas. Um, I got to uh, through college uh, and in college, actually not in high school, but in college, I <clears throat> did all the shows on the in the theater. Wait, 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 wait. What college? Yeah. Hunter College, New York City. Uh-huh. And uh, my last two years, I did all the shows. I did the assemblies. I did the dramatic shows. I did the scenic design. And in fact, there was a big write-up about who was this student walking around college with paint spatted clothes all the time, you know, because I was working on the, the sets all the time. Hardly went to class, got a lot of credit for some of the stuff I did. And there was one of the professors who had gone to Yale 
And he said, that's where you should go for graduate school. So he got me into Yale Drama School. He was a now, designer. You, you say he got you in. I mean, evidently your own, your own portfolio of set design. Right. I had that, but you really had to have some pull. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, and I'll tell you why. They only took 12 students into the first year of the design program at Yale uh -huh. Drama School. Okay. 12 students out of God knows how many that applied. So I say he got me in. I probably had the talent, yes, but his letter, his contacts helped me. He was a Broadway designer. He did lighting for the Met Opera. I mean, he was in the field already. And, um, and I learned a lot from him and the uh, other professor who was the head of the shop that helped me do the sets. I learned a lot from those people. So yes, I would I would send them a love letter. In fact, the, the man that um, was the head of the shop that helped me with the sets, I found out at my last college reunion that he was in a uh, nursing home. Oh. And so I sent him, I did send him a letter thanking him for helping me, you know, have that career in theater. And I guess, you know, they have those arts and crafts sessions in nursing homes. So yeah, he yeah. sent me this oh. handmade um, card with, you know, buttons on it and oh. thread. And that is so nice that he put the effort into communicating with said, like fashion kind of, yes. Yeah. So again, he sent me back kind of a love letter telling me how proud he was that I I did design television and Captain Kangaroo and how oh, he watched we, it. Okay, are we going to get up to Captain Kangaroo slowly? We'll get there, yeah. But <laughs> I had to stop and tell this story. No, no, that's fine. <laughs> I'm just, I'm like one so, of those kids who listens to a story and you can tell when the parent has skipped a page. Ah, okay. Well, okay. I'm not skipping. I'll get to it. Okay. It, it just fit right in here. So... Um, I was in Yale Drama School. It was a three-year master's. And at the end of the first year, they have to get rid of four students. Out Why? Of the 12. And the reason for that was the second year, they only had eight main stage um, plays. So they oh, only needed oh. eight designers. or Not main stage, but the uh, second, the smaller theater. Mm -hmm. And then the last year, they got rid of another four because they only had four main stage programs. So I was one of the first four to be kicked out. How do, <laughs> they, phrase, how do they phrase that? Um, Just curious. You're no longer invited back for oh. your second year. Heartless. Congratulations. <laughs> So I was devastated. I mean, you know, I wanted to be a designer since right. seeing um, uh, yes. Oklahoma and Carousel. Um, but I realized I was, I was a designer at seven making those little dioramas. I was, in essence, I was a designer and nobody can tell me I'm not. Good. So I, I went, I lived in New York City. I went back there. I got into the scenic design union as an apprentice. 
And as an apprentice, they sent me to various places to work. And one of them I worked was a scenic um, paint studio. And for six months, I like washed out paint buckets. Oh. Every day, washed out paint buckets. And finally, one of the other artists there, and we would do him drops that was big. We did like Radio City Music called Drops, size of a football field. Wow. And one of the- A, a drop is like a backdrop? The backdrop, yes, okay. yes. And we did all the other sets too, but- and this, this, I always felt most people don't know this, even here when I work for the opera, when you're painting a backdrop, it's not hanging. It's on the floor. Oh. And you have a bamboo stick with the brush at the end of the stick. So you can reach. And so you could reach. And you have your little part of what the area you're working on. They cut up the design. And there's like eight people working on different parts. And you look at that and you sketch it on the floor. It's on the floor. I, I always found that fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so you, I'm, you, I'm you out of picture like a mural that you'd be up on a ladder somehow. And yeah, and sometimes you do touch up and stuff when it's <laughs> up because you can really see it. But um, mostly it was done on the floor. Yeah. Um, so what happened? So where am I? <laughs> well, you, you're I'm in scene design in New York. You're out of Yale. Right. And for six months you washed buckets and now you're doing backdrop. Right, right. Next. And I, I realize that my fellow um, students, oh, so then I'll, I'll get back to, I'm out of Yale, I'm painting scenery, and then they needed an apprentice at CBS television. And I was hired, um, it was a very strict English boss, but he liked my work, you know, saw my portfolio. And so I got a job there. I worked there for 10 years and I designed Captain Kangaroo, <laughs> uh, Merv Griffin show, Jackie Gleason show. Oh, I didn't realize those two also. Yeah, that was a shorter time. Captain Kangaroo was about 10 years. Wow. But um, the others were shorter for various reasons because I did Merrick Griffin and he moved to the West Coast and uh, they wanted uh, new designers. And sure. I did go there for a little while, but then, okay. then I did so not. So you actually, you actually <laughs> knew Captain Kangaroo? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Saw him every day, you know, hello Captain, you know, hello Alan, oh. you know that, yeah. Yeah, that's kind of thrilling. Great fun. Okay. But I think the more fun was like Jackie Gleason, you know, and sure. the June Taylor dancers. And, oh, yes. I love them. Yes. yes. All, you know, having to do the pattern on the floor so they can all lie on the floor and look down and, you know, be part of the dance. So my design was part of their dance routine because it all had a fit. And yes. Great fun. Great fun. You know, stressful at times. Jackie Gleason could come in and I did a whole set according to his uh, sketch, according to his writing. And he'd come in and go, this is not that funny. I'm going to write something else. Totally destroyed that set, hands me something else within an hour. I got to go back to the shop and immediately create 
something new. Like a big supermarket where at the end of the skid, you take one can off and all the shelves. Oh, right, of course. Yeah, you, know, you know, like that. Um, so at times it was very stressful. Oh, but I have a question for you about yeah. you and stress. Um, you know, I forgot to introduce you as the world's only jollytologist. Yes. Right. A whole but other also, profession. Yes. <laughs> you know, when you, it seems to me that your temperament is that you, Nothing can ruin your day. Yeah, funny you say that. It's the title of one of my books. I know it is. We'll get to that. <laughs> but you know, it is. It is so. It's so you. Yes. So it is so me now. It wasn't so me then. Oh, is that right? Okay. Yeah, I would get from the stress. I would get um, sinus headaches oh. twice a month. Okay. It was extreme. I mean, Merv would come in, and uh, in fact. True story. First day on the job, they had fired the other designer in. I'm in LA with Murray Griffin. He comes on the set. This is my very first day of meeting him. He looks around and goes, I hate this set. Where's the designer? How rude. <laughs> it wasn't my set. <laughs> it was the previous guy. He said, get me something else. My very first, you know, encounter. Um, so I go back to the shop and I see this spangly gold and silver curtain. And I thought, well, let's try this. This is either going to fire me or, <laughs> you know, keep me. Yeah. And they put it up and he loved it because he can make this big grand entrance, you know, pushing aside all these spangled oh, things. Oh, nice. And so I lucked out. But it was it was like that. I just yeah. you know it was it was uh, just stressful. They'd cancel the skit. Um, he would not like the set. Um, You're working and, with temperamental people. Yeah, you know these were prima donnas. Right. <laughs> so how did you? How did, yeah, it paid a lot. I I was okay. very fortunate. I could I could express my creativity. At times it was fun. At times I would, you know, particularly um, Mer Griffin show. There were lots and lots of Broadway celebrities that I could uh, hear, you know, see, had seen them in Broadway shows that I always went to. And there they were right next to me. And that was so, that was so great. That was wonderful. And I can imagine how wonderful that was for you. How did, how did you go from all this what was what was your path to becoming a jollytologist and teaching other people, giving other people permission to laugh in the face of crisis? Right. Did this have so, to do with your wife? Yeah. So I'm I'm in New York. Uh, my wife is with me, and uh, my daughter is with me, and I'm doing Mer Griffin show, and he's moving to the West Coast didn't want to take anyone at, at that particular time. No, it was, uh, I'm sorry, it was during um, Jackie Gleason was moving to Florida. And then they got a new designer. So I went down to help them. And then I came back and CBS had no big show for me anymore. So they, they were, wanted to give me um, soap opera. <laughs> Which I did not want to do. It, soap operas were basically moving furniture around, you know, for the yes. next day. And yes. it's not something I wanted to do. 
So I actually um, left and I did commercials for a while, which was also kind of weird because I remember one rice commercial. Oh, I yeah. Did this, yeah, I did the whole kitchen. And then all you see is a teeny little pot and you see the bowl of rice noodles, you know. Um, and I thought this is great. Again, it paid well, but it wasn't, it wasn't that uh, great. That so is- what happened, we're living in New York City and living in a uh, old tenement building, six room wood burning fireplace apartment. I think I paid $120 a month <laughs> at that time. And that was low at that time too. Um, and then the landlord would come by every month trying to get us out because oh. he wanted to split up the apartments into studios. And one night there was a fire in, in the, one of the apartments or in the hallway actually. And the next day he came by and offered us this pile of money to move. Oh, good. And so we took the money. We always wanted to live. My wife was from San Francisco. Oh. We always wanted to live here. We wanted a Victorian house. Mm-hmm. And we took the money and ran to San Francisco, uh, where I then worked for the opera painting scenery. And then <clears throat> after a couple of years here, Actually, it was about a year after we got the Victorian house, my wife got a rare liver disease, primary biliary cirrhosis, and passed away after three years of finding out that she had that illness. Mm. And I was devastated. I had a company, a silkscreen company here in the city, and I sold it to my partner, I didn't know what I was going to do, but I knew silk screening was not it. Something in me said, you know, Ellen's dying um, made me realize there was something more important I needed to do. I had no idea what it was, no idea, but it's not silk screening. So I sold the company to him, went back to school to learn about death and dying. Oh. It was hospice time. I became a, a volunteer. I became a home health care aide. And then I noticed um, being a hospice volunteer and working with people who are seriously ill and dying, that they would often use some humor. And people don't think about humor and death and dying or humor and grieving. And yet I noticed how it helped me because my wife had a great sense of humor and even used it. lots of tears when she was dying, but there was a lot of humor. Your, your, your audio was off. Um, sorry about that. It doesn't say off. Okay, I'm gonna pull that Oh, Is- oh, oh, hello again. No, you're good, I got you. I'm good, okay, I took the mic off. Good. I don't know why it went off. Um, And I don't need this now. Perfect. (laughs) Sorry about that. I don't know what happened. That's Um, okay. You're back. And and looking more handsome than ever. Oh, thank you. Now you can see both ears, right? That's right. Okay. (laughs) So so what was your first book? I mean, how did you? So, um, 
you know, I realized um, how humor helped me to cope, how it helped my wife, it helped our friends. It was Norman Cousins' time talking about how humor helped him get over his serious illness. And so I enrolled in an independent study program. Yes. About uh, therapeutic humor. Ah. St. Mary's College in Winona, Minnesota. <laughs> so you, you really put some learning effort into this. I mean, you didn't yeah, oh, just yeah. decide They're to just, write a book. Okay. Oh my God, the, the hours and hours I spent, because there was not a lot of information about therapeutic humor. In fact, um, and I was researching humor and death and dying, and there was even less than that. And there was no computers at the time. It was, if I wanted to look up an article, which I did about humor and death and dying, it was in the New York Times on microfiche. Uh-huh. So there I, I sat with the microfiche wheel looking at, cause I didn't know what day of the year or when it was. And I sat there for days looking at the whole year, never uh -huh. finding the article. And I wrote to the author and he said, oh, some big news story came up when it was supposed to oh, be run, yeah. it was canceled. Now with computer, <laughs> you know, it's... <laughs> Right, I know it's a it's a godsend. So, yeah. so you what was your first book? So I did all the research in uh, therapeutic humor, and the first book was actually the contract was supposed to be learning to laugh when you feel like crying. Oh yes, yes. And um, the publisher decided they hadn't pre-sold enough copies, so they uh -huh. changed the title to the healing power of humor. And that did better? Well, who knows? Because the never the other one. Now, I wrote for eight months and my editor loved that title. And she said, never change so. that title, learning to laugh when you feel like crying. Yeah. So that is the New York Times best-selling title. And then it was she left the company and they changed the title. So I don't know if it would have done better. Healing Power of Humor is now in a 40 some odd printing. Wow. And a ninth foreign language translation. So would it have done better? Doesn't matter, this is good, yes. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So I wanna I, catch us up a little bit because I wish, I wish we weren't even limited by time, but um, uh, you now have 30 books? 30 plus, I've kind of stopped counting at 30. <laughs> <laughs> and and, yeah, and the latest one is the awe awe factor i happen to have it right here show it to us because your last love letters live was about that was about you and that book awe factor oh i love <laughs> <laughs> hello okay come back Big awe. so you you have found you have really you've shifted from one kind of a career to another, and you know, as I'm saying this, I'm realizing that everything you've done has kind of had the goal of making other people happy, elevating uh, elevating moods and spirits by set design and theater and Captain Kangaroo. I mean, that was a lifetime of making children happy. Right. So you're not so far off track here with what you're doing now. You're still helping people to see joy. Right. Yeah. Um, 
I came up with, um, I, I did a class last year where we did a uh, vision kind of map and uh, mine, mine happened to turn out to be all full of light, like candles, um, hanging lights, Christmas lights, you know. And I realized, Janet, what I am is the ambassador of light. Good for you. So not only am I a jollytologist, <laughs> now I'm the ambassador of light. And I, I think I have it in my awe book, but one moment happened around that I was at um, Unity Spiritual Center where I go and the, a new person came up to me after being there a couple of months. She said, I always like being around you. She said, you feel like you're the ambassador of light to me. And I, I got the chills because I had not told anyone about that. Oh my know? goodness. And, and there she picked up on it. So um, I tried to lighten up things, uh, situations for people. You do that and you know, but you do something else because I also love being around you, even at a distance like this. There is something about you and I know that I know that it is your actual goal in some way, but you carry with you permission to be happy. And, oh, not, that's and nice to hear. Not everybody yeah. has that. Not everybody gets that. You know, people feel that in the face of disease or, you know, death of somebody so important to you, that feeling happy at any time is somehow disrespecting the pain. You've got it nice and separated. So that yeah, and I think I think I learned that lesson um, one from my wife dying that um, you know we're here for a short time we don't know how long and uh, to enjoy ourselves while we're here. Yes, you know I remember. I, go ahead. Go ahead. No, well, I was going to say you just triggered a memory when I was about twelve, uh, maybe fourteen, something. I was young, and very close friends of our family. Uh, their, their college age son was killed in a car accident. And, you know, we went to be with them at their home after the funeral. It was just horrible, just a horrible, horrible thing to have happened. And his sister was um, laughing at something unrelated. She was, you know, in the crowd and somebody had said something to her and somebody came over to her mother and said, She's laughing. She's laughing. Make her stop. She can't laugh now. Mm. And that struck me. What would you yeah. say to that? Well, you know, we feel guilty uh, when we laugh. And I interviewed a lot of people for one of my books and asked them, uh, it was an Embracing Life After Loss book. Uh, how would you want the deceased, your loved one, how would they want you to live your life? And nearly all of them said they would probably want me to go on with my life and be happy. Yes, yes. Still remember them, but be happy. And yet we often don't, you know, so. Um, right. Yeah, well, and I think laughter and tears are very close too. Oh yes, because you can see somehow, close. sometimes how quickly people shift from one to the other. I mean, like, you know, hysterically laughing and then just dissolving into the most devastating tears. And yes, yes, right. well, because yeah. both touch something enormously important. 
Thank you for doing this with me. I love your life story. Oh, thank you. And um, thank who's you. Who's going to play me in the movie? Oh, <laughs> well, I think, did we talk about this? I think you should play you as an adult. Let me think about no, I casting. Can't, I can't play me at uh, CBS era. <laughs> sure you could. No, with well, makeup and maybe hair. with makeup. Yeah, good makeup. Sure. <laughs> you know, you can age people down as well. But, you know, we have time to talk about that. Okay. With somebody who actually makes movies. I hope they do. I hope they do. It'll be yeah. a it would be a wonderful <laughs> it would be a wonderful series, by the way. Oh. TV series. Yes. Uh -huh. How can you laugh at a time like this and then just like, story after story after story? Like the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. It yes. could be the <laughs> I don't know. Well, I want to thank you for doing this. And thank you. I wanna, and I want to thank you for being the man who gives people permission to be happy. We all need that. Thank you, dear. We'll talk again. Thank you. Love you. I love you too. Bye.